Hello, and welcome to this episode of All There Is. I'm your host, Kelly Bargabas. Thanks for tuning in as we witness the spectrum of human experience in order to connect, share, shift paradigms, inspire each other, and ultimately expand our universe through words. During the pandemic, I transitioned to working remotely, and I've spent the last 15 months on Zoom and Microsoft Teams with daily virtual meetings and calls, and all of them were video. I had to be video ready every morning, at least from the waist up. Most days, this consisted of shorts or workout pants on the bottom and a nice professional top with my face washed, a little dry shampoo in my hair, and a little mascara and lip gloss to get me video ready for the day. And I know many of you were in the same boat. So you know and are familiar with the virtual backgrounds and filters that these platforms have. Teams has this really cool feature where you can blur your background, which worked well for me this last year when I was working in my spare bedroom. That was also the landing pad for any and all household items that didn't have another place to go especially before company came over. Clean clothes, dirty clothes, half-unpacked suitcases, opened and unopened mail, hats left behind, all of it ended up in this room. And so the blur background feature was just enough so nobody could see all that mess. And in Zoom, you can choose a virtual background and pretend that you're on a street in Manhattan with the city skyline behind you. Or you can pretend you're beachside in Cabo or that you're living in a million dollar loft with brick walls and high ceilings and it all belongs to you. It's all yours. At some point last year, after spending a half hour testing out different corners of my house for a good, uncluttered background before I was getting on a Zoom call that made me look put together but not too fussy, not fake or like I was trying too hard, I cleaned up my dining room and I took a pic of it during the golden hour before sunset. It had really good light and I used that as my Zoom background going forward so then I didn't have to worry about my messy bedroom and I didn't have to worry about where I was in the house. I've never used the Zoom filters for real, but I've certainly played around with them. There are options to cast you in your own golden hour glow or rose-colored glasses. There's these filters that are called Boost and Noir, which is kind of like a, a dark evening back alley kind of filter. There's a cinnamon filter, bubblegum, and then there's the classic sepia or sepia. I'm never quite sure how to say that. That makes you look all antique and old-fashioned. And then there are the other filter effects where you can outline yourself with a marquee on opening night or a strand of Christmas tree lights or stage curtains. You can add bunny ears and noses, mouse faces, puppy dogs, unicorns, and ballerinas. The list is endless. I just noticed that Zoom has this new feature in their video backgrounds and filters called Studio Effects. And with Studio Effects, you can actually add eyebrows, a mustache and beard, and lip color. Is that crazy or what? And if you don't know what to use, there's this setting that's called Touch Up Your Appearance. And you can just flag that and, I don't know, I guess it magically knows what you need to look better. So what is it with our obsession with filters and backgrounds and pretending we look different or live someplace else? It's not really a new phenomenon. It is our human nature and actually goes back as far as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the story goes that they were both naked until they screwed up and disobeyed God. And then Adam and Eve hid from God, hid their nakedness with a fig leaf. 
their nakedness, their mistake, their ego that led to their disobedience, the knowledge they uncovered was too much to bear. It was too glaring. And so they covered up. The fig leaf was the very first filter. Who knew? Fast forward to modern day, and actors and models and those that film and photograph them have been playing tricks with lighting and mirrors for many, many years. It is not new. Filters are not new. In fact, I didn't research this, so I could be wrong, in which case I'll probably sound foolish, but I am guessing that the term filter is actually a carryover from the filters and film that were literally placed over camera lenses to change the look of subjects back in the day. Recently, in our, our recent culture and where we're at today, filtering has just been taken to the next level with technology, and the options are really endless. So what is the point of all this filtering? Well, for many of us, filters soften the hard angles of our face, of our life, of our mind. Filters can fill in wrinkles and reverse years off our life. They can make a blonde a brunette. They can make your boobs bigger without having implant surgery. They can fix bad teeth or a bad hair day. Filters hide things we don't want others to see, like my messy bedroom, or perhaps we don't want to see anymore. They distract us from things that we are uncomfortable with and give us something else to focus on for a while, or they outright lie and produce an image of us on the surface that is just that, surface. It doesn't reflect the real us, the core of who we are. Filters can also hide things we don't want to face. 20 extra pounds, the zit you can't believe you're still having to cover up with concealer in your 50s, the gray roots showing up at your temple and hairline, the furrow in between your eyebrow, and then the one line above your lip, that screams to the world that you're not 30 anymore. Aging, pain, lack of sleep, weight gain, truth, regrets, mistakes, bad decisions, bad genes, bad behavior, racism, social injustice, discrimination, anything that is too uncomfortable for us to look at head on, we want to filter. It is human nature. At times, it is all too much and we prefer to hide behind a fig leaf filter. Now, it doesn't always have to be so serious, right? Filters can just be fun and a silly way to play, especially for us adults who don't get many chances to just play dress up anymore. So yes, filters are not always so ominous and serious. My little nieces love to make faces into their mother's phones and add animal parts and effects and outrageous filters, and they crack themselves up. That's it. No other hidden motive or agenda. They're too young to have any other baggage yet. What is the point of all this talk about filters, and where am I going with this analogy? As I try to make sense of alcohol use, which is what I've been sharing for the last two episodes, and make sense of why we humans, we intellectually know all these things about alcohol and drugs, right? They're toxic, poison, addictive, they cause cancer, they have the potential to cause great harm, to kill, to destroy lives, to rob us of our potential, they cause us to do things we shouldn't be doing, and yet we are still attracted to them. I've come to think of alcohol or any substance like it, pot, nicotine, hydros, Adderall, as filters. Filters that allow us to soften the sharp edges, to round the corners in our mind, to distract us from pain or grief or boredom or the marriage we wished we weren't in or the kids that aren't on the right path or the parents that are growing older and older. 
perhaps our career, our money troubles, our stress. We want to hide from all of it. It is too much to look at, head on, day after day after day. And so we filter. We've also been convinced, brainwashed really, that this filter of alcohol especially makes us sexier and smarter and cooler, right? We've been absorbing these messages in modern times since we were born. And if you choose not to partake, you're boring, straight, uninteresting, the list goes on. We think this filter changes the way others see us. And I also know and realize that using alcohol or drugs isn't always so serious. Not everyone is hiding from deep and dark things. For many people, and at different times, it is just about fun. Blowing off steam, hanging out and getting silly with our friends, laughing at stupid things, just like my nieces do with the Snapchat filters. Sometimes it is just fun and part of a vacation or a night out. But even with the lighter side, I think it is part of the brainwash marketing messages we've received. What we've witnessed in our own lives and those of others is that adding alcohol to any event makes it more fun. And if there isn't going to be any drink available, the event is going to be boring. And what about beer goggles, right? Beer goggles, quote unquote, have been a thing for many years, right? It's an old joke that you picked up this man or this woman at the bar and you must have had beer goggles on because in the harsh light of morning, you really see who you brought home and they don't quite look like you remembered with the filter of alcohol. My friend and I were out one night and we were listening to a band and having a few drinks and we had a blast. We were singing and dancing and thought we were really cool and interesting and sexy. And we were so enamored with the guys in the band, thought they were really handsome and attractive and hot. And the next morning at my place, we looked up the band online to see where they were playing again or when they might be coming back to this bar that we were just at. And we looked at the pic of the band and thought, oh my God, is that them? What the hell? What were we thinking? And I'll just leave it at, they were a little different in the light of day with no alcohol filter. And without that, we could not for the life of us figure out what we had seen the night before. Beer goggles. What I've learned recently, and by reading that book I told you about a few episodes ago, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, is that what we've really done is associate the drinking of alcohol with all the things we do. And we think it is that substance that made it fun. I drank all through vacation and had a good time. It must have been the booze. I went to a U2 concert and had a few pops beforehand. It must have been that. The beautiful bottle of Napa Valley Cabernet made the steak taste better. Is any of that really true? Or were they all just filters and the real enjoyment was the relaxation on the beach with the sun and the sand and the sound of the waves? The music and the lights and the show itself at the U2 concert. And that the chef knew what he was doing in the kitchen and created a delicious dish with his technique. We all have friends on social that every pic they post, you can tell they used a filter, right? Celebs and influencers do it all the time. Photoshop, it's so prevalent in our digital world these days that it's a big deal to post no makeup selfies. And, right, the ultimate absence of filters, no makeup. And, you know, there's a hashtag campaign, hashtag no filters, is very common. And the reason, like, that's a thing is because filters are so ubiquitous. They're used all the time. And all of this thinking and processing that I'm doing has me thinking about the images 
I have of my grandmother. I told you she was an alcoholic and that I've spent a lot of time wondering how she ended up becoming an alcoholic. And she wasn't a functioning alcoholic either, who could hold down a career by day and drink a bottle or two of wine at night. No, her job was to drink, and that's what she did every day. Legend has it that this behavior started when my mom was 14 or so, and that her drinking was actually the catalyst for my grandparents' divorce. But still, I wonder, what, what was it? What happens to a person, particularly a woman, to cause her to just give up to the pull of alcohol's promise? What happens to make you want to sit at a bar day after day, surrounded by others doing the same thing, until you are so drunk you slur every word, can barely walk, and forget to eat or take care of yourself? And I'm the type of person who loves to solve problems. It is what I do at work. I've made a career of it. So I've always been convinced there had to be a reason. And my childhood memories of my grandmother are full of these unfiltered images. Some were real photos and snapshots that, you know, we physically have. And some are just images in my mind. My camera roll of my grandma looks like this. Christmas, circa 1987. The table is set with the nice white dishes and two candles. The advent calendar is on the wall. And my grandmother is sitting at the counter waiting for dinner. The high-backed orange stool seems to swallow her in her navy tracksuit, with her size four feet in matching keds hanging six inches from the floor. Her small closed fist covers her mouth as a phlegmy cough rattles out. She is looking behind her, as if she is looking for someone she recognizes or remembers. On Christmas, she would bring us our new mittens, scarves, and hats that she crocheted or knitted. The brown, orange, and yellow zigzag-patterned afghan she made and the patchwork one with the charcoal-colored squares of yarn flowers hang on my mother's couch. During dinner, she asks my mother questions that she used to know the answer to. Who's the father of your kids, anyway? And is your father still married to that whore? Her driveway, circa 1980. Shit, 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 my mother mutters under her breath as we stand in the empty driveway at her trailer. Get back in the car. We drive to the Verona Beach Hotel, one of her regular spots. The bartender nods at me and my mother as we walk in the front door. I am never quite comfortable walking into a bar in the middle of the day, but go anyway because I don't want my mother to go alone. The regulars line the bar with their gin grins and watery eyes, pretending like there's no place else they should be. It takes a few minutes for my eyes to recover from the blindness caused by bright sunlight colliding with smoky bar light. My grandmother is on her favorite stool, with her glass of Jenny Draft and my four-year-old brother on the stool next to her. We leave her there and take my brother home. Puerto Rico, circa 1975. My mother and her friend that won the free trip lean up against the edge of the white boat, their one-piece bathing suits framing their figures, a little cleavage and a lot of leg. My father and her friend's husband are sitting on stools wearing dark aviator sunglasses and a tan, a can of beer in each hand. Blue water surrounds them. Bright sun reflects their smiles. They leave us with my grandmother for the week. I develop a skin rash while they are gone, my forearms blotchy red and itchy. She calls the doctor's office and makes an appointment for me in the middle of a school day to make sure my scarlet fever hasn't returned. When she walks into my third-grade classroom, straight to the teacher's desk, with her attachable sunglasses flipped up on her frames, talking too loudly, my face burns and I want to crawl under my desk. My parents bring us straw sombreros with Puerto Rico stitched in red letters across the top and wooden maracas. 
Verona Beach Hotel, circa 1982. It's after midnight, dark and cold. The one streetlight at the corner and the neon bar sign give my father enough light to find her lying on the edge of the ditch. The bartender called my parents to fetch her. My father scoops her up and takes her home. Her trailer again, circa 1982. Her rental trailer is white with a wide stripe of dark green painted down the middle. To the right of the narrow front door is a couch, low and close to the floor, cushions flattened from overuse. Through the kitchen at the end of a long hallway is the one bedroom. My sisters and I help my mother wipe the brown, filmy layers of cigarette smoke off the walls and clear out years of empty bottles and cans. My mother picked up my grandmother, told her she's taking her to dinner, and instead drove directly to the nursing home and left her there. She'll never have another drink. Betsy Ross Nursing Home, circa 1982. She shares a room with another woman. She keeps the small stand next to her twin bed locked. She's convinced someone is stealing from her. The top drawer is full of small, white tubes of Avon lipstick samples. For the first week or so, nurses stayed with her around the clock so that she wouldn't leave in the middle of the night. When it's my turn to pick her up and bring her home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter dinner, I walk down the hallway past the woman who holds her breasts and asks, Will you take me home? Until I find her in the TV room. She sees me coming and looks at me with blank eyes until I'm close enough to say, Hi, Grandma. She stands to hug me. I had a dream last night you were coming. I follow her to her room so she can put her lips on before we leave. How long have I been in this hellhole? Just a few months. We keep up this routine for the next 10 years. Wedding picture, circa 1935. She is wearing a dark gray dress with a white lace collar. Her hair is dark, natural, pinned up at her neck. She half sits on the arm of a velvet-covered chair. My grandfather is handsome with his already white hair against his dark suit. They are both smiling. They were married 25 years before the divorce. I long to have known her then. I wish I could go back and ask her, What happened, Louise? You can tell me, I promise. Was it too much? The four kids? Was he too mean? Was he controlling? Was it the time you were born into? Did you wish you could have had a career and not feel guilty about it? Did he hurt you, betray you? Was he unfaithful? I was always looking for a deep, dark reason for why my grandmother drank. But lately I wonder if it was all just a filter, a way for her to pretend that whatever pain she was holding wasn't really there, that perhaps the beer-induced numbness blurred the background of the life she didn't want to see unfiltered. I'll never really know why she needed those filters so desperately, but I'll probably always wonder. So then, knowing all of this and understanding all of this, is it possible to live a life unfiltered? And what must it be like to commit to seeing whatever is there, whether it is messy, painful, depressing, boring, or genuinely beautiful and funny and messy, but also raw and real? To live with none of those filters in our arsenal is scary and takes courage. What do you mean I have to go to dinner with Aunt Bernie and I can't have a cocktail or three to drown out her mean-spirited jabs? Or what do you mean I have to go to this conference and network and walk up to people I don't know and talk to them? You want me to go on vacation to the beach or pool or mountain cabin and not drink? You want me to be unfiltered? What do you mean I have to sit night after night in the living room with him or her and pretend? It is scary to think about living the rest of my life unfiltered. 
But I have to say, one of the biggest surprises I've had over this past year is that I have discovered that I can have just as much, if not more fun, more of a satisfying night or event or weekend without alcohol. Even if I'm going out to a bar or a restaurant or a party or a family picnic or just a Saturday afternoon. Intellectually, I still have moments where I fantasize about day drinking on a rainy summer day or a yummy glass of wine or bourbon tasting in Kentucky. I fantasize about hanging out with my sisters and being silly and funny and, and just having a couple of glasses of something to drink. So I get it. It is intimidating to think about living the rest of my life unfiltered. And it requires you to be vulnerable, to be brave, to be willing to risk nakedness, to risk people seeing you without a filter, without makeup, to see the real you. It also opens you up to see others in an authentic way as well, to experience this world again like you did as a child. Talk about taking years off your life. To really experience this world again like you did as a child, don't we all yearn for that, really? But you didn't need substances when you were eight. You giggled at stupid, funny jokes. You got excited about ice cream cones and car rides. And anywhere you went that you had never been before was a new adventure. And sometimes you were shy and afraid and sleepy and grumpy, but most of the time you were open and looked at the world around you honestly and head on, ready for whatever came your way. As I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation two episodes ago on drinking and alcohol, I'm still figuring out what it all means to me. I found peace of mind without it, and now I'm really curious and challenged to be brave enough to live my life unfiltered. It's a rebellious idea. It is counterculture. It is provocative to challenge our alcohol use in the world we live in today when where more than 80% of adults drink alcohol. But this idea of living unfiltered has me hooked. And so as I wrap up this episode and as I wrap up this topic after these three episodes that I've dedicated to alcohol and drinking, I would encourage you to be curious with yourself and to start to explore these ideas for yourself. What do you think about all of this? What filters do you use? What substances act as filters in your life? It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be pot. It could be prescription drugs. It could be Xanax. It could be food. It could be work. But what filters are you using? And what are you hiding? What don't you want to look at? What is your nakedness? What, it, what are you trying to cover up with that fig leaf? Is it pain? Is it boredom? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Or do you think you need that filter to have fun? Do you need the bunny ears and the unicorn tail? Or you think you need it? I don't challenge you to agree with me or to do what I'm doing, but I am challenging you to ask yourself some questions and just think about it. That's all. I appreciate you tuning in today. I hope you got something useful out of it. If you haven't yet and you are interested in this topic, go back and listen to episodes 25 and 26. You can find old episodes on kellybargabas.com, and you can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, etc., wherever podcasts can be found. 
And uh, again, thanks for tuning in. And tune in next time for a Keep It Real interview that I'm going to have with a young woman that I know who's going to talk about postpartum OCD. She's going to share with us her powerful and honest experience, and it's really moving. And I think it will probably resonate with a lot of people. And until we meet again, take care.